0: Good evening. Hope everyone's doing well. It's good to see everybody. I think it's somewhat fitting that uh, when we were on our way to church tonight, the bottom dropped out and we had a ton of rain and we're gonna look at Genesis chapter seven. (laughs) And so you step out in the midst of that and you're just thankful there's a promise in there that it's not gonna flood again, right? Uh, So it's kind of fitting. Uh, our sweet lady table up here has informed me that there was a car outside, a gray Mercedes that had the windows down. So don't get mad at me. That's you. That's, they're the ones bringing the bad news. You may be the one that left the window down, but they're the ones doing it. But they're just letting you know, uh, if it's you, you might as well just wait now. I mean, (laughs) D's been done, you know, so, uh. You know how that goes it's good to see everybody tonight i'm thankful that you're here uh thankful for another opportunity for us to be together so if you have your bibles you can take those out and turn to that genesis chapter six and we're going to look a few things here move through a couple passages um just uh really thankful for what the lord's doing I'm, i'm thankful for god's goodness to us in allowing us the privilege always to gather together it is it is uh, kind of one of those days and times and even you know where over the last year we talk about it a lot you don't take uh everything for granted anymore you know there are things that you cherish and you appreciate and and to me wednesday night's always been cherished and appreciated i used to play football every wednesday night and that was while choir practice was going on and uh when i was a kid and um but it's always been that night that was set aside for this so i'm so thankful so thankful to be able to do this with you guys a couple of announcements really um, two main announcements this coming Sunday is lunch with the staff so if you've been visiting with us as a guest or anything like that or you know somebody that has just know I think already the sign-ups for the lunch for the staff are over a hundred coming to that this week so uh, y'all are more than welcome to come we can always make some more barbecue and everything but um, yeah God's been good to that so Please, uh, please continue if you know anybody else that needs to come or uh, invite them to come. It's an opportunity where uh, you know, more people uh, were able to, to, to get a better, but it's, it's an opportunity where they'll get, be able to hear from each one of our staff members and be able to meet them and have any questions they may have. You know, I tell people all the time, when it comes to church membership, it's important that you go to a place that, that you know and you know well. It's also important that the people that are there know you, right? And so we're just trying to create opportunities and spaces for us to get to know each other as we move forward. And maybe if the Lord leads to some of these may want to join us as members, covenant members here at Taylor's First, we'll be thankful for that. So that'll be this Sunday right after our second service right here in this room. So by all means, if you know of anybody or you need to come, come and be a part of it and join up with us also uh just two weeks from this sunday is september 12th i know don't don't shoot me about that either the year is gone you know what i'm saying um and so we're september 12th and and that evening will be a special service we'll have our regular service in the morning but that evening we will have a night service in our main worship center and it will be uh kind of serving a double purpose we'll be Uh, ordaining both Alex Smith and Mark McKenna. One is a deacon and one is a minister. So it'll be ordination time to hear. And then we will also be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so um, on that evening, it'll be a great opportunity for us to come together and worship September 12th in the evening. I think that's at six o'clock. I mean, that's pretty much standard, I believe. Um, But yeah, it's at six o'clock. But y'all be listening in for that and make plans to be here. Just an important time. One, to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together is always a blessing. But two, to be able to see young men going into the ministry and be able to be a part of that and kind of give them encouragement through that is also wonderful. So y'all be a part of that. Just want to let y'all know. Before we look here at the text, uh, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer if we can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us and bringing us here this evening. And God, we just ask that uh, you would bless our time together. We're thankful for all that you're doing in the life of our church and how, Father, uh, we know that there are many amongst us who are going through a difficult time and, and hurting and having uh, struggles and difficult circumstances, God. But I'm also, I am also also know how uh, good your word is and how great the fellowship of the saints is for us as believers. And so, God, I'm thankful for you, that you provide opportunities for us like this to be together. And so, Father, I pray that we will take this time to, to just uh, consider your word and consider your truth. I pray that you'll continue to help us as a church to remain laser-focused upon what you've called us to be and what you've called us to do, that, that, that the gospel will be clear and proclaimed loudly here father that your love will be seen and evident that we will be united in such a way god that those who are lost and do not know you will recognize a difference from us and so god we we ask that you grant these things through the power of your spirit working in each and every heart and we recognize father that that means for us that we must do exactly what your word says, that we should be obedient and be patient and be loving and be kind and be good. Father, that we should be long-suffering, as your word says. And so, God, help us as your people to um, be faithful to your word and faithful to Christ Jesus and faithful to love one another. Father, um, help us now as we look to Genesis, look to this passage, that you would guide us and shape us into the image of your son through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Genesis chapter six and seven, we kind of take it, I'm going to do the same type thing I did last week, just kind of look at this as an overview. Remember, uh, God has decided to punish the earth because of the sinfulness of the people. And so there in chapter six, verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I'm sorry that I have made them. Now, if we would have stopped there, this would have been a very painful passage in many ways. It is already painful. When we realize judgment that's coming from God because of sin, it's already difficult here. At the same time, we also remember, and I want us to always keep our minds on this, and you'll hear me mention it every week. We remember that in Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise. He made a promise that he was going to redeem What was lost. Right. He was going to redeem what was lost there in the garden through the birth of this one who will come from a woman who will crush the head of the serpent who has destroyed the peace of God. And so God had made a promise. And if we stop there in verse seven, it may seem that God has gone back on his promise. And we recognize, hopefully, as believers in this room, that that's not an option for God, right? So he's not going to go back on his promises. We're going to see that tonight. And so if we would have stopped there, that would have been like, it's over. God has gone back on his promise, and he has just went ahead and blotted everybody out instead of crushing the head of the serpent that has caused all this mess. And so that next verse is very important. God is going to keep his promise, and he says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And how did Noah find favor? And you can kind of read that word favor like grace or mercy. Noah found this in the eyes of the Lord. He found this as a gift. And what is the gift that Noah receives? One, he receives revelation. God tells Noah what his intentions are. Remember we talked about this last week, how important that is, that Noah would not have known if the rain started falling unless God had told him, here's what's gonna happen, Noah, he would not have been ready for it, right? If unless God had said, Hey, Noah, the rain's gonna come down, the water's gonna come up, this place is gonna be flooded, so I need you to build an ark. And so we recognize that God's revelation is a gift of grace and mercy here to Noah so for us today even it is such a privilege that each and every one of us whether you have your bible open on your lap or on your phone or whatever device you may have what a privilege this word is god has not left us guessing as to what he expects from us he has told us what he expects from us he's not left us wondering what are the consequences of our actions he's told us the consequences of our actions He has said in Psalm 1 that blessed is the man who honors the Lord and follows him. He has told us that those who do not will be cursed. And he's even said that if you sin against God, death is your wages. But the wages of sin is death in Romans. He's told us all these things. Part of the gift of God's grace and mercy to us is that we have his word, right? And that he has revealed himself to us. We don't have to guess, we don't have to wonder, here's who he is, here's what he requires, and here's what is expected of us. And when we realize, even in the midst of what he requires and what is expected, we realize that we can't do that, right? You realize that I can't live up to what is expected because I'm a sinner and I don't love God's word, I love my own self and my own sin, and I, in and of myself, can't save myself, we also recognize from God's word that he's provided a way for us. And so what Noah realizes here in this revelation is this gift of God when he says, I'm going to judge the world, but I also have made a way for you, Noah. is the same thing we preach with the gospel all the time. God's judgment is coming, but there is a way out of that judgment. A way out of that judgment. This is why last week, if you remember, I said... The ark is already a picture, if you will, not of any church or anything else, but a picture of Christ Jesus himself. Noah gets through the judgment of God, the flood, he gets through the judgment of God being in the ark, being protected there, being covered there, being um, closed in in the ark and protected from the elements and whatever's outside. Same thing for Josh Powell. I will get into heaven. Because I get there in Christ, right? Covered by his righteousness, covered by his blood. And so here God has made a way for Noah and he's revealing that to him. So when it says God's found favor, his revelation is a gift to him. The the revelation of judgment coming is a gift. So Noah knows what is expected and what is coming. And then, of course, by providing a way out, we see that grace and mercy of God. And so... The story here of Noah and the flood is a story of God's judgment and his grace, which again is the story of the gospel itself. It's the story of the gospel itself. Noah's righteousness, Noah found favor in the eyes of God, Noah's righteousness where it says he walked with God. Noah's righteousness then is born out in the scripture of his obedience, what Moses, as he's writing this, wants us to understand about Noah is God revealed something to him. And what did Noah do? He did it. He acted upon it. We'll see this, by the way, in so many others. Now, there's some obstinate people in the scripture. Y'all know that, right? But here in Genesis, there's some good, you know, Abram. He goes to Abram even before he's Abraham. I need you to go up out of the Ur, the Chaldeans. Here's what I'm going to do. And the next verse says Abraham went, right? Or Abram went, he left. There's this quick statement here is that when God reveals something to you, what is the clear response? You do it. And so for Noah, we see his righteousness rests by the grace and mercy of God, his righteousness rests on his obedience. What happens when God says, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth and here's what I want you to do. Make yourself, verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood make rooms in the ark cover it inside and out with pitch this is how you are to make it length of the ark is 300 cubits i'm thankful for this how good is god in this because you look at josh powell i'm about to flood everything josh go make for yourself an ark i'm still dead in the water y'all know what i'm talking about i don't know how to do that but he tells him exactly how to do it god reveals to him here's the way think of this as as in some sense, uh, even more so, maybe a little different is like Joshua going to Jericho, right? Joshua, you're gonna win Jericho, here's how I want you to do it. I want you to march around it every day for six days, one time, don't talk, don't say a word. Seventh day, march around it, seventh time, don't talk, don't say a word, then scream, walls come down, you win, right? That seems so odd, but God gives him the exact details of what to do and what, how to win this battle. And he'll, here he is with Noah. Noah, here's what I want you to do. Here's exactly how big you have to make it. Here's exactly how you are to make it. So God not only reveals to Noah that his judgment coming, he reveals to him how the way out is and he reveals him what to do about it. And here we see Noah's righteousness is evidenced out in his action, in his action. Now, this is a, a common New Testament thing, you know. We're saved by faith, not by works, right? So Noah is saved by trusting in God. But Noah's faith, I trust God. There's judgment coming. It's going to rain. God told me to build an ark. I believe him, right? What good is that if Noah doesn't go and build the ark? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? This is James. If you say you you, you have faith in God, you'll show it by how you live and how you act. So Noah's faith is going to be evidenced in what Noah does. And this is a key part of New Testament teaching, not just the Old Testament, is that if we say we have faith, that faith is going to be evidenced out in how we live. It can't not be. So the word, you remember that old hymn, Trust and Obey for There's No Other Way, right? Trust and obey go together. They can't be separated. If you trust something, you are going to follow it, use it. You trusted tonight that when you sat down, that chair was going to hold you up. So what'd you do? Most of you just plop right on down. You know what I'm saying? Well, I I was just kind of kidding, but most of you just fell right into that thing. Trusting this. So you trust this chair is going to hold me. So what do you do? You sit on it. You your action demonstrates your trust. Right. And it's the same way that the Lord is calling us. This is what obedience looks like. God has given you clear direction. He's told you what is expected. He's told you what you want, what he wants of you. And so now your righteousness, which has been granted to you through grace and faith right now, is going to be evidenced out in how you live. So as James says, If you say you have faith, you will show it to me by how you live. You cannot separate the two. You're saved by faith, not by works. But if you have faith, works will be evident and they will be there. They have to be. Because for Noah, he can say he believed God about the flood, but believing in faith didn't help him unless he acted in obedience, right? And so this lesson is shown in Noah's righteousness, born out of his obedience, that after God gives him direction in chapter 6, what does it say? Verse 22. Now, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He did all that God commanded him. It tells us that Noah walked with God. And, and I think that, of course, we've said a couple times that that idea of Noah walking with God, same thing he said about Enoch, same thing he's going to say about Abraham, same thing he'll say about others in the Old Testament This clear that they were following after God, they were living in obedience, they walked with him. I don't know, but I'm really, uh, I, I wouldn't hesitate to say that everybody in this room would love that to be what people say about you, right? He walked with God. Well, listen to the next line here, what that, what that describes, that verse I just read. Noah walked with God, what does that mean? Noah did All that God commanded him. That's what it means. He sought to honor God in obedience. He sought to honor God in obedience. That's what it means. He walked with God. So Noah finds favor in God's eyes. God reveals to him through revelation of the judgment that is coming and the way out that he can find for grace and mercy. And Noah demonstrates his faith by living it out in obedience and righteousness. Noah demonstrates it by living it out. In obedience and righteousness. God's judgment is coming. Notice what what this text, this text sometimes, uh, it, it really doesn't say anything. You can kind of speculate or think about it, but it really doesn't say anything in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 about Noah, especially Genesis 6 and 7, about Noah's interaction with the others, Right? Um, We we speculate and you don't think the the ungodly ones who's walking by as Noah's building the ark and going, what in the world are you doing? Um, The Bible tells us at this point it hadn't even rained yet. Uh, God was watering the earth through the dew and things. So rains, the heavens hadn't opened up. And so Noah trying to explain, hey, man, God told me that there's going to be a flood and the rains are going to come down and everything's going to be covered. Unless you are repentant, you will be crushed and judged, right? Noah doesn't, it doesn't tell us about any interaction. Now, if you'll turn over, it does in Peter. Peter likes to, to use Noah. But in 2 Peter, in 2 Peter, and I want to talk about this judgment that's coming. If we talk here, we, we don't like to talk about judgment, but the Bible talks about judgment. And so we're going to talk about judgment. You don't know how that works? So 2 Peter chapter 2, I think that's a four, but my goodness, just to be perfectly honest, this is too small for me to even hardly read. It doesn't even help to do this. I see y'all doing this all the time, like that helps. but For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Hear what he's saying. Remember all creatures are created cuz they're creatures yeah angels are created beings god created everything good you remember that and so sometime in that process early before genesis 3 the angels that god created that were good fell from heaven peter's point is god didn't send a savior for them they fell they sinned they're getting their judgment they had no chance of salvation you see In other words, salvation is God's choice here in the sense that he didn't have to send Jesus to save us. When we sinned, when we fell, he could have left us in our sin and judged us. So Peter is saying, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now you see what he's doing here. God is sending judgment and he's not going to spare the wicked. The wicked aren't getting away. The angels weren't spared. Those in the world at the time of Noah were not spared. But what does it even say about Noah? He was a herald of righteousness. So the... Old Testament doesn't tell us in Genesis 6 and 7 about any of the conversations Noah had. But what Peter is saying is he was a herald of righteousness. That word herald means a proclaimer, right? A proclaimer of righteousness. And so Noah, whether by his voice of proclaiming it and explaining what's going on or his action of building that ark, he was testifying to the righteousness of God over against the judgment of God. That God is right in this. And his judgment is coming. So Noah, that's why many people said he proclaimed it. You know, he he said it. That's the word. He He was a herald of righteousness. Whether by his action or his words, whatever the case may be, by Noah being obedient in the midst of ungodliness, he was proclaiming his own righteousness and trust in the Lord. And so Noah's doing this. By the way, his whole point here is kind of fascinating to me. If he did not spare... The ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among the day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw And remember, Peter says at one point, you know, the writings of Paul are scripture. He says the Old Testament prophets, even the writings of Paul are scripture. And he gives us a little side note uh, where he says, and sometimes Paul's writings are hard to understand. Peter needs to have some self-awareness, I think. Um, But what Peter is saying here, first of all, Peter's looking at this later. And Peter's testifying to what? Peter's testifying to a few things. One, the angels fell. Two, the flood happened. Three, you want to say Sodom and Gomorrah didn't turn into salt? For Peter, it did. He accepts all of these events as true. Now, you can Google on the the internets and do whatever you want to do and look it up. There's all kind of places where people are trying to to disprove these statements in the Old Testament. Say, that's not really happened. No, that that couldn't really happen. Peter's looking at it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, it happened, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood. These things happened." Looking at it, Peter's saying, one, they're true. What also Peter's saying is God's judgment has been seen. It's been seen over and over again. It was seen with the angels. It was seen with uh, the flood. It was seen with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's been seen over and over and over again. And if it's been seen there, it will be seen again. You can count on it. Peter, I think, is addressing something that even our modern world is saying. We don't like to talk about God's judgment. We don't think he's going to judge. Everybody may make it. The whole world is trying to suppress that. And let's just talk about the love part of it, right? Don't get me wrong. Love is important. God is love. But we also know that God is just. And so he's trying here to say, look, you can... Try to sidestep the judgment of God if you wish or if you want to. But he's proven over and over again, he will not stand against sin. He will judge it. We've seen it with the angels. We've seen it with the flood. We've seen it with Sodom and Gomorrah. And Peter's whole point is, we will see it again. And it says that in chapter 3. When he says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The reason he says that is because he's saying God is going to judge it. Don't think the timing's off and it's not working with timing and that kind of stuff. Don't try to figure it out because you can't figure out time when it comes to God. But what you can know is it's going to happen. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient. Patient towards you. So in other words, he's saying... God's judgment, if you read that passage right above it, this time it's coming with fire. God's judgment is coming. Destruction of the ungodly is coming again. Peter's whole point is, it's happened. We've seen it. It came then, it came then, it came then, and it's coming again. So be ready for it. Be ready for it. In other words, you can't say you haven't been warned, right? That's what Peter's saying. You can't say you haven't been warned. And not only can you not say you haven't been warned, you can't say that you don't know the way out if you've heard the gospel of Christ, right? Here's the way. That's what Peter's whole point is. Don't forget the gospel. Don't forget Jesus. Judgment is coming and here's the way. Here's salvation that has been prepared for you. It's been made for you. Here is the way. So Peter uses Noah to say, that's what happened in Noah's day. The judgment was coming and Noah preached righteousness by building the ark and living faithfully in obedience. We are to do the same thing. We're to be heralds of righteousness by trusting in what God has done through Christ and letting others know that the judgment is coming. But there is a way out. There is a way out. And so Peter wants to call Noah's our attention to Noah as the one who is not only Not only building an ark, but also proclaiming righteousness. So for us, then, we hear the word of God. We believe it, act in faith. Then we follow in obedience. We follow in obedience. And not only do we follow in obedience, we also herald that goodness and righteousness that God has shown us and testified to us. That's what he's called us to do. Herald that. So what about that judgment? If you continue on that theme What we see back in Genesis is we see, first of all, the violent nature of what happens here in Genesis six and seven. The violent destruction of life on the earth is emphasized here. Everything is destroyed. In Genesis chapter seven, verse four, he says, for in seven days, he tells Noah to get up in the ark. I'm going to send some animals up in there with you. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Every living thing that I've made. So you see this, not only this violent destruction of the earth, everything will be destroyed. You see that on down in in verses 21 through 23. Um, But you see how that continues. Everything will be destroyed. And finally, uh, also, not finally, but also, y'all got excited I said finally. Verse 19, he says, And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. So every single mountain was covered. So not only every animal would be destroyed, but every piece of dirt will be covered. The highest of the mountains, right? Right. We, uh, I was able to go, I was out west a little bit in Wyoming and I was on, you know, checking. Somebody had one of those watches that tells you all kind of stuff about yourself. I tried to avoid knowing all that stuff. So they were told us we're at 9,000 feet high, right? And I was like, man, I might be the highest I've ever been. I going up there. And so we were thinking about that. But then I was considering, you know, the mountains and, In Nepal and other places that are at 28,000 feet, that's pretty tall, right? If I'm at nine, that's 28, we up there. And so just consider the highest of the mountains on earth were covered. The scripture is clear. You cannot argue that what's going on here in Genesis chapter 7 and 8 with the flood, you cannot argue that this was some localized thing, right? That's what a lot of people want to do is probably a localized flood Noah didn't realize it because of his perspective. He was just right there. But you can't argue this is a localized flood. The scriptures say every piece of dirt on the earth, the highest of the mountains were covered. Were covered. You see that everything uh, was destroyed. Everything was totally covered. When you see verse 7, you see the violent nature. Of, I mean, chapter 7, verse 11, excuse me. The violent nature of it, it says in the sixth, 600th year of Noah, he was ripe, ripe young age. Um, In the second month, on the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open. So he says it started there and water gets on the earth in two ways, right? The rains come down, the heavens were open, but also what else? It burst up out of the ground. Now, my dad, my dad had to dig a new well just uh, a couple months ago. And so he was so proud of himself because my dad's a pastor. Been a pastor for 40-something years. And I said, how did you find where the water is? Oh, I brought out one of those well witchers. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Dad's witchcraft or something, you know? What in the world are you talking about? No, come on out here. I'll show you. And he had the perfect branch cut. It has to be from a blossoming tree. And... And, and he had that thing, he said, now grab it like this, flip it inside. Levi's over there, he made Levi do it. I told him to get my son into involved in witchcraft. And he had this thing, flipped it over, and he started walking through the yard, and he went, boom, that thing did that. I said, no, it didn't, you lying. You know what I'm saying? I, Ain't no way, you're faking it. And that joker, he handed it to me, we had to do it, then we left. And I walked out there, and that thing started, oh, whoa, you know? I, I put it down quickly, got scared. The guy came out there, the well witcher came out there and said, dig right there. Dad put a little rock down and called the well company, and the well company comes out there and goes, I don't know about this, but the well company's getting paid no matter what. So they're like, yeah, we'll try And getting paid a lot. Um, Well, you know, so this guy does it, and Dad starts digging. Sure enough, they dig down and got nothing at 50 feet. You know what I'm saying? Just keep going, 75 feet, nothing. Dad's sitting there, and I'm, you know, thinking, huh, mm mm-hmm. Devil got you on that one, Dad. <laughs> Goes down all of a sudden, boom! Before we know it, he's getting like—I don't even know if this is a lot, but it's like fifty-something gallons to a you know to a minute. I mean, it is water flowing everywhere up by this thing. He's already hitting the river. I mean, like the Congaree down there, you know. <laughs> and I'm fascinated by that, just thinking about this passage because you—we consider what's up here that we see, but What's underneath is all the greater, right? That's how we, uh, most of us get our water in our houses, what's coming up underneath. And so what the, what the scriptures say is the earth opened up and the waters came up, right? So it's not just the water coming down, but it says it burst up. That idea of burst is to split open, is to come up. And so the earth, you're talking about a catastrophe style type thing. You're talking about also things such as earthquakes that would have taken place and tsunamis and everything else starts covering the earth as this happened. So this, as the scripture says, is this mass violent destruction of life because of sin takes place. It's total. Everything's covered. Everything it says is blotted out. This judgment is tremendous and we shouldn't overstep that. We got to recognize that God's judgment against sin is total. Nothing gets swept under the rug. Nothing gets sideways here. God will make sure, as Hebrews says, every single sin will be judged because God is holy and he must. He must. So you also see how this changes the earth. You got all kinds of theories out there. And again, you can go and look at it. But as I've said before, if you have a total catastrophic worldwide flood, then you're going to have some major geographic and geology things happening at one time, right? You're going to have that happen. I've got no problem with Pangea. Y'all know Pangea, one earth, because pre-flood, that surely could have been the way it is, but the scripture says that the earth split open for us. Maybe it did. I got a lot. I think, I think in many ways you can describe or understand many things that many scientists and others say take a thousand, thousands and millions of years can be understand in a moment. If you consider a worldwide catastrophic flood that takes place from carving out canyons to building up rocks, to burying animals that are on this earth, just consider the fact that Noah didn't have to put, or God didn't put all the animals that were here on the earth at that time on the ark. I'm sure he's glad he didn't put all of them up on there, you know? A lot to clean up after. And we all, I've already used my joke about unicorns, so I'm not going to use it again. But when we consider that, you know, you, you, you think about the fact that all of this burying animals, putting it up under sediment, moving rock, moving dirt, moving things can happen. Water does great damage. All of those things could have happened at this point. We don't have to be scared about any of that science when we consider this. And in many ways, a lot of science has to do with the worldview and what you consider to be true and where you find your truth from to continue here. By the way, I was flipping through. I was, I, I, many of y'all know, I'm just, i just, I serve as a trustee at Southern seminary, Southern Baptist theological seminary. I had to be up there on the, their board, the vice chairman on their board. So I was up there this weekend I don't have cable at my house, and rarely watch TV, really. And so I was uh, flipping through the cable as I'm sitting there, and I come across a show, you know, just kind of, kind of there. And this show is a National Geographic show, and they're trying to explain the parting of the Red Sea. All right, and I'm sitting there going, "That's cool. You know, let's see how they explain this. That's good." They're trying to explain it, and. What they're saying is, is they found a volcano that erupted in the Mediterranean Sea that was a great catastrophe. Could have even caused all the plagues. You know what I'm saying? All the animals dying, this volcano erupted, could have caused all that. And this volcano erupted at such the perfect time that it created a tsunami. And a tsunami can create a great wall of water. And so what happened was it erupted and the great wall of water got there just at the right time for the Israelites to cross. (laughs) And somehow the water wall collapsed just at the right time if that Egyptian army weren't working. And they're like, oh, wow, that's incredible. I'm thinking, man, it takes a whole lot more faith to trust that than it does that God did this thing. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, who in the world comes up with this stuff? What I'm telling you is the world and those who don't trust or know God's word are going to do everything they can to sidestep it. Right. Remember the issue here. If you can discredit the word of God, then you don't have to sit under its authority. If you can discredit who God is and what it does, and you can discredit Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you can discredit these miracles, and you can take them out and wipe them away, then you don't have to answer to this. You've already discredited It's not true. We don't have to answer to it. And what do sinners want to do but to justify themselves in their sin and not believe they're accountable to anybody else? And so here, ultimately... We see this happens all the time. And when we look at the flood, we've got to consider that this is going to change how this world looks after the waters subside, after the waters subside. So everything is global catastrophe, all flesh, every living thing I have made. He said, even the birds, when the water stays, this, this flood lasted about a year. When you consider 40 days, 40 nights, it starts, it has the dates on there. Uh, seven, I mean, it's exact, So, which is also testifies to its truthfulness. It doesn't say, hey, one day it started raining, the next day it stopped. It says, here was the date this month, uh, 17th day of the second month when Noah was 600, verse 11. First day of the first month when Noah was 601, it says. The, the waters begin to recede. And so ultimately it lasts about a year. Birds can't stay in the air that long. Everything dies. Everything dies. Ultimately... When we consider the ark then, Noah and his family were saved. I want to get to this last little piece. And I passed out something. Y'all are probably thinking, what is this? He's passed out. And he ain't even talked about it yet. We're going to be here all night. Holy cow. <laughs> you have two of every kind that get on the ark, it says. You have seven of some that get on the ark. You have Noah and his wife uh, and then his children that is, and their wives get on the ark. So... Eight of them total, Noah and his seven others. And then you have uh, this language that starts up in chapter eight. What I've put in front of you, I don't even have a copy of it, I'll make something up. What I put in front of you, uh, remember that when Moses is writing this, there's no such thing as a printing press, right? That's going to take a couple thousand years later. So in order to get another copy of this, someone's got to write it down every letter at a time. So what would happen would be that this would be read aloud, you know, when they sat around at night and everybody ate supper together around the tent or whatever, they didn't go cut on the TV. You know what I'm saying? They would read or they would tell stories. And so Noah designs this to be read. And oftentimes what you have then is you have devices that were used, literary devices that were used to help people remember what was said. One of those literary devices is a chiasm. You see that at the top. C-H-I-A-S. You see chiastic is another form of that. Oh, you got me one there? Thank you, Jeremy. You're chiastic structure of Genesis. This is not from me. A guy named Sidney Gradenus from Preaching Christ from Genesis. And he, he does this. And I think this is incredibly helpful to me. Because what a chiasm does is you see how this laid out like a, like a sideways V here like this. The chiasm is going to match. So 6, 9 through 10, you have the transitional introduction. We're moving into this narrative. If you look down at the bottom, 9, 18 through 19, the transitional conclusion. Y'all see what I'm saying? Those two match. Although they come at different spots, they match. And so as you go down, and I tried to keep the colors here, there. You see 6, 11, and 12. You see the violence that's going on in God's creation. 6, 13 through 22, God speaks and he has resolved to destroy his creation. In 7, 1 through 10, God speaks again and he tells Noah to enter the ark. In 7, 11 through 16, the flood waters begin, the rain comes down. 17 through 24, they begin to rise. And so everything starts happening here. And then you have that God remembers Noah. That's Genesis 8, 1. Now, if you look at the bottom half, they match. 7, 17 through 24, the rising flood waters. 8, 1 through 5, the receding flood waters. Y'all see how that works? You have 7, 11 through 16, beginning of the flood. 8, 16, 6 through 14, the drying of the earth. You see the narrative matches on both sides. So it, it works together. So the themes match up. The second divine address, command to enter the ark. The third divine address, Command to leave the ark when he tells them to leave. So it matches together. You see the first divine address that he's going to destroy. God resolves. He resolves to destroy. In 8, 20, God resolves to preserve and bring order back. Not destroy, but to bring it back. You see violence in God's creation in 9, 1 through 17. Peace happens after the flood. Do y'all see how this works? It's a way to put the whole narrative together in such a way that it's easier for people to remember how it goes together. It's a, it's a way that we don't follow because we, uh, all, all of us pretty much are able to read and to understand and to read again. But if you're doing it orally and you're transferring information orally, you try to build in devices for people to remember it. It's like doing the Ten Commandments or something with signs. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all don't remember when I did that? Okay, good. It's like doing that. It's like we, we would do with children when we're trying to get them to remember something. You would have ways to remember it. So when you're reading a story, they would build in it ways. But what the chiasm also does is so important, I believe, is you always in the chiasm have that middle thing that doesn't have a match, right? And that middle thing becomes the whole point of the passage. This is what the author's trying to get us to see. He sees that the waters come down, God's going to judge, the waters are going to come down, the flood is coming, and we see also that the flood is going to recede. What God wants us to see, what the author wants us to see in this is that the very center of this narrative and the very point of it all is that God remembered Noah, right? That becomes the whole point of it. That's what a chiasm does for the reader. It helps them see that what's the main point we're trying to get out here. I could show you some of other of these from scripture, but we don't really have time. But what's the main point you're trying to get from this is that center point. God remembers Noah. And when we read this passage, that's it. God found favor in Noah. God remembered Noah. And God remembering Noah is what all of this is about. And what does that mean that God remembers Noah? What it means for us is not that he forgot. It's not like God was like, that's what it means for us. You know, I remembered. It means I forgot. And usually you remember when you're in the bed covered up and everything's already done for the day, if you know what I'm talking about. But what does it mean here? This doesn't mean that God forgot something and he just said, oh, gosh, Noah's out there in the ark. I forgot it. What this means, in other words, is God's faithfulness to his promise. In other words, it's like this. Uh, God is going to keep his promise. The floodwaters came, they rose up, and God remembered his promise. God remembered his promise. And his promise was, I'm going to crush the head of that serpent through one who's going to come through a woman. And if that's going to be the case, these floodwaters recede, Noah's family goes out, and we'll begin this thing again. We're going to deal with it again. And that phrase, Genesis 8-1, changes this whole passage. I love how beautiful it is because when that happens, God remembered Noah. Up until that point, this has been pretty bleak. It's been pretty sad. Judgment, sin, judgment, rain, everything's totally done, wiping everything out on the face of the earth. Every drop of every ounce of dirt is covered. It's totally done. God remembered Noah, and the waters start going away. And the judgment that was come starts disappearing. God keeps his promise, he says. God keeps his promise. And here, this one phrase, God remembered Noah, changes everything. It's just like in Genesis 3, when God looked at the serpent, even after the judgment, and he says, I'm going to crush your head. That changes everything. It's just like for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, you were dead in your trespasses and sins of one of the way you formerly walked, how you once lived. And you, just like the rest, were under the wrath of God. But God, because of his great mercy by which he, he loved you, God made you alive together with Christ, right? That but God made you alive together changes everything. You were dead, disobedient, depraved, doomed. But God, now you have the riches of glory on you. And why did he give you that but God and make you alive? So that he can display his majesty and glorious riches to you. It changes everything. So for us, as we look at this, yes, we see the the judgment. And we must not forget it, for God has revealed it. He did it to the angels. He did it to Noah. He did did it at Sodom. And Gomorrah, as Peter says. But you must not forget that God always keeps his promises. He is not slow in keeping his promises. He always keeps his promises and he always keeps them right when he's supposed to. Not right when you want him to, not right necessarily when he wants to, although he does, but what I mean is he keeps them right when he's supposed to at just the right time, every time, every time. God remembers Noah. And so for us, as we look to the cross and consider Christ, it's the same thing. God remembers his promise. God remembers his promise. This passage teaches us that judgment's real. It's what the scriptures want us to understand. This passage teaches us that righteousness is the only true response to the revelation and goodness of God, grace and mercy. This passage also teaches us that God the creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke everything out of existence in just a few chapters before, will never, ever, ever forget his people and forget his promises. Never. And we can rest in that. We can rest right there. So in the midst of judgment, in the midst of judgment, there is so much hope in what God has provided for us. So much hope. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Thank you that you did not forget Noah in that ark and you did not forget us here on this earth. That you, in your glorious splendor and majesty, have provided a way of salvation even through judgment. Help none of us to miss that, Father. Help us not only not to miss it, help us to be heralds of righteousness as we proclaim the way Christ Jesus saves us from the judgment of God. God, help us to be faithful in these things, even amidst a world that laughs and scoffs. Give us your kindness now. and all of this, we pray in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen. 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 Hope to see y'all Sunday. Y'all have a great weekend. I think it stopped rain. I wanted to preach to the rain stop, you know, so y'all can get out of here. Thank y'all.